Hello Duck fans, good morning, it's 32 degrees in the Emerald City, this is Locked on Ducks, your daily stop for info, updates, and analysis on your Oregon Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long, and you can find me on Twitter at TheDustOffGuy, and you can follow the show at Locked on Ducks. Send in questions to hashtags AskLodPod, that's hashtag AskLodPod, and please take a moment to subscribe or follow on your podcast platform, and leave 5 out of 5 stars on Apple Podcasts. If you don't think I should get 5 out of 5, leave 5 anyway, and let me know why in a review, and we'll fix it for you. Today is a Mock Draft Monday here on the Locked On Network. Over the weekend, I ran the Draft Network's Mock Draft Machine 100 times over the 7 rounds of the draft to get an idea of which ducks might be drafted, when, and by whom. There were some major takeaways that we can talk about, but first up, it was a big weekend for Oregon basketball. So, on to the action. Number 14 ranked Oregon went down to McHale Center in Arizona. The Ducks won in overtime, 73-72. was a heck of a game. Nafali Dante was out for its 10th straight game with his knee. We had a couple of early three-pointers from Pritchard putting uh, Oregon up 13-11. The first quarter back and forth uh, gave the audience a ton of energy, and the crowd was really, frankly, pretty electrifying. Anthony Mathis put an end to it, though, with a three. Going into halftime, Arizona and Oregon were exchanging threes pretty much back and forth with Mathis and Pritchard doing most of the work on that one. At halftime, Oregon was up 36-33. to Arizona went 4 out of 5 shooting to open the second period and a 6-0 run and out-rebounding Oregon 5-1. to And at this point, I thought the game would go the way of the Arizona State game with that second-half shenanigans. The Ducks were down by as much as seven twice in the second half. The first time was off Arizona's Dylan Smith scoring a three, sending them up 49-42. to Twice more, the Wildcats would extend their lead to six, but Peyton was shooting out of his mind, and that kept it within reach for the Ducks. Pritchard scored the final six points of regulation, all with free throws. Oregon was 26 or 61 shooting overall, had 10 three-pointers off a 35.7% shooting from beyond the arc. Six of those were from Pritchard. Mathis got another three, and Justin tied his season high of one three-pointer made. This makes the the Ducks are now tied with Colorado and UCLA uh, at a half a game behind uh, Arizona State University and a half a game ahead of Arizona. This was the Ducks' fifth overtime win this season. Pritchard said he's focused on the next game versus OSU and just moving moving right along. No time to dwell on the win. He had a game-high 38 points, 4 assists, 6 rebounds, and a steal. That game-high 38 points is also a career-high for Peyton Pritchard. A couple of clutch free throws at the end of regulation to send it into overtime. Sean Miller, the Arizona coach, said at his press conference, I just want to get this over with. It was actually kind of hilarious. He didn't want to take any questions from from the press corps. Francis Okoru fouled out with about 3.5 minutes to go in overtime. And Arizona's Dylan Smith had a layup with uh, 30 seconds to go, putting the Wildcats up 72-71. to And on the final possession of overtime, Pritchard missed a three. Juicing got the rebound, passed it out to Will Richardson, or tipped it out to him, who brought three Arizona defenders his way. Then he passed it back to Juicing, who was wide open, scoring the game winner. 
Shakur Justin with the layup. It was uh, one and a half seconds to go when he won it. Justin on the night had 14 points, three assists, six rebounds, a block, and a steal. And he actually scored all of Oregon's nine overtime points. And the AP poll has Oregon still at 14, and Arizona dropped out of the national rankings altogether. Even though Arizona outplayed Oregon on the floor, one major reason for Arizona's loss had to be the abysmal free throw shooting. They were uh, only 47%, making 10 of 21 free throws. Next up, the Ducks begin the final three-game homestand of the season where they have a revenge game against unranked Oregon State. That game is on Thursday at 8 p.m., so we're going to be previewing the matchup on Thursday morning's show. Now it's time for a little Monday mailbag. Let's see here. First up, using the hashtag AskLodPod, KMac author asks, Where do you see Pritchard's pro prospects? Starter, quality backup, or potential star? Well, thanks for the question, KMac. Peyton is a local boy uh, who went to Westland High School. His father was a tight end for Oklahoma, and his mom was a gymnast. He himself was a dual-sport athlete playing basketball and football. He was a quarterback at Westland as a freshman. His dad actually wanted him to play football, but he preferred basketball. So, you know, all his life he's grown up around training, sports, athletics, and he's actually been training at quite a high level all his life. During his junior year in high school, he, he verbally committed to Oklahoma, where he has family living, but then he decided to finish high school at Westland and committed to Oregon. In an interview that's just a few years old, NBC Sports Northwest interviewed uh, Peyton Pritchard about his decision to go to Oregon and commit. So let's listen to what he had to say. You know, I grew up here. I'm an Oregon boy, born and raised. You know, I'd love Coach Altman and Coach Steph, and I just feel like I could be really successful there. During his time at Westland High School, he actually led the team to four state titles, and ESPN had him ranked as a top Oregon athlete. He graduated with a 3.6 GPA and is seen as being a hardworking but very smart basketball player. His teammates always point out that he's the first to arrive and the last to leave of practices and gym sessions. In fact, uh, here's a quick audio of uh, Francis Okoru talking about Peyton's work ethic. Um, comes in before practice and be the last person to leave sometimes, and he works really hard. I mean, as his reward. This year, Peyton Pritchard's averaged 20.1 points, 5.5 assists, and 4.5 rebounds. And we were just talking about how he once again made the case for player of the year with a 38-point overtime win in Arizona. At the USA Under-19 tryouts, he came in at a, what I'd call a charitable 6-foot-2-inch, 206 pounds. He has a 6-foot-4-inch wingspan and a 7-foot-11 standing stretch. And that wingspan isn't that huge. Most mock drafts that I've seen have Peyton going day two, mostly around... Uh, most of them have him going at number 49 to Golden State. Uh, like Tankathon, NBA Scouting Live has him ranked number 50. Uh, to, to answer the core question, though, as good as he is right now, which is an elite Pac-12 talent, he his lack of physical tools are probably just going to land him as a quality backup. With his work ethic, though, and you know the, that basketball IQ of his, I think he's going to be around for a long time. He can make a name for himself in the league. I think he'll be around for a while. If he does end up in the right situation, though, he could excel as a starter. And let's do one more. Tim writes in on Facebook with a volleyball perspective uh, during last week's talk about NCAA free agency. In case you missed that show, it was this great segment we did with a special guest, 
And we were discussing the NCAA's rule change that put basketball, football, baseball, and hockey in line with all the other college sports and allowing unrestricted play for transfers. Tim made this really good point that volleyball has been like this for a while and that just last year Oregon lost three great players who transferred to Hawaii thanks to the unrestricted transfers. That's going to do it for the Monday Mailbag segment. Thank you, Tim and KMAC, for the questions. Remember, you can always reach out to us with comments and questions. Use the hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtag AskLodPod on Twitter. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the women's basketball team and their win over Cal on Friday. Welcome back to Locked on Ducks. My name is Jordan, your host, and now we're going to be talking about the number three Ducks win over Cal. And then in the next segment, we're going to be doing Mock Draft Monday, taking a look at some possibilities in this year's draft. I'm going to be updating those rankings as we go through the combine, so stay tuned for more great draft analysis. The women's basketball team won their 13th straight game, beating the pants off unranked Cal. Sabrina Ionescu scored her 25th career triple-double. She had 17 points, 11 assists, and 11 rebounds, which is an all-time record for NCAA men's and women's basketball. Oregon won the route 93-61. to Aaron Boley was 8-for-9 shooting three-pointers. Ruthie Hebert had 20 points and 15 rebounds, making her sixth double-double in the last nine games and 55 in her career. The Ducks are now 25-2 and on the season, and a win over Stanford tonight will clinch the top spot in the Pac-12. Opening the game by making a statement, Ionescu and Bully scored back-to-back threes. Within the first four minutes, the Ducks were up 15-2, to and they didn't look back. They opened the second quarter on an 18-0 run, which included four or five three-pointers. Bully opened the second half with another couple of threes, sending Oregon on another 13-0 run in the middle of the third. Aaron's now 20 of 29 shooting threes in the last nine games. And Sabrina had her triple-double before the end of the third quarter. Satu Sabali had a big third quarter with 12 points on 50% shooting. Ionescu is only 9 rebounds away from being the first ever men's women's basketball player to have 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 1,000 assists. Next up is one of the biggest games of the season. Tonight is the final road game of the season for the Ducks as they head to play the 4th best team in the nation. They'll be down at the Maples Pavilion on the road, and when the Ducks win it, they will only be one win away from their third straight Pac-12 title. During their 13-game win streak, Oregon has nine top 25 wins, six wins versus top 10 opponents, and a win tonight is going to make three against top five programs. The last time the Ducks played the Cardinal was January 16th, when the Ducks beat them. Uh, they were ranked number three back then, and they, they beat them pretty decisively, 87-55. to In the all-time series between Oregon and Stanford, the Cardinal has beaten Oregon 54 to 11 times. But the Ducks have won three of the last four games against each other. Some keys for winning tonight's game is going to be for Aaron Bully to keep up a red-hot shooting streak from that three-point line. Bully's ranked number three in the Pac-12 and 15th in the nation for three-point percentage. The Ducks are absolutely stating their case as an elite team, putting together a resume of very impressive wins. We already talked about how many have been against top 25 ranked opponents. It may be too early for this kind of talk, but frankly, all Sabrina Ionescu needs 
is to lead the Ducks to a championship, to be considered among the best college basketball players of all time. The Ducks are very strong at every position, and we'll probably get more into it in another episode, but UNESCO's dominant season has really overshadowed what are some really great players, and Hebert, and Boley, and Satu Sabali. There's also a lot of promise in the up-and-coming players, like Taylor Chavez, and I just... Can't believe the six foot seven redshirt freshman Sedona Prince. So she's going to be super fun uh, to watch going forward. But before we move on to the mock draft segment, let's go ahead and listen to Sabrina talk for just a minute during her tribute to Kobe Bryant before the game. Uh, this audio is from her Twitter. I grew up watching Kobe Bryant, game after game, ring after ring, living his greatness without apology. I wanted to be just like him, to love every part of the competition to be the first to show up and the last to leave, to love the grind, to be your best when you don't feel your best and make other people around you the best version of themselves and to wake up and do it again the next day. So that's what I did. Wake up, grind, and get better. Wake up, grind, and get better. Kobe Bryant was a, a mentor of Sabrina's and a major part of her life. After his death, she wondered how the world could have brought someone like Kobe into her life, someone who understood her so well, and, and these are her words, and maybe he was the first person in her life who truly got her on a deeper basketball level, but only to have them ripped out of her life after less than a year. And in an open letter that she posted on Twitter today, she said that she has learned to process the loss in a different way and less angrily, and to see it as fortuitous they they had any time together at all. She also talked about his commitment to women's basketball, saying that to her, he didn't see the game with girls as a hobby or some side project or as a charity case. He saw it as a movement, and he didn't get involved because he was a fan of that movement, but got involved because he wanted to be a part of it. The audio clip you heard was from a 10-minute speech she gave at the Kobe Bryant Memorial at the Staples Center this morning before thousands of family, friends, fans. And then from there, of course, Sabrina's going to head over and uh, get ready to play in the game tonight, which is, as I mentioned earlier, one of the final three games of the season. After tonight, the women's basketball team plays again on Friday against Washington State, but they'll be at home. And then Sunday is at home at well uh, against Washington. And then that Thursday, March Madness begins with the first round women's basketball playoffs uh, in Las Vegas. It's going to be very exciting stuff. A lot to look forward to and definitely a lot to talk about. Next up, it's Mock Draft Monday. It's finally here. The Combine is here. And the NFL Draft is less than two months away. I ran the Draft Network's Mock Draft Machine 100 times through seven rounds to get an idea of where the various ducks might be mocked in at. This is a pre-combine take and we're going to continue going over these prospects after the combine and of course going into the draft. We're going to be saving Justin Herbert for last and going to start out with linebacker Troy Dye. The Raiders drafted Troy uh, the most at 25 times and the Broncos drafted him the next most at 20 times. Honorable mentions should include the Lions, the Saints, and the Browns who picked him 10 times each. The most significant thing here is that I can confidently say that Troy Dye will be drafted in the third round. The Bengals may take him as early as 65 or the Lions at 67. 
In this exercise, he went as late as the Broncos at 95, with a decent showing by the Saints at 88. In every mock draft, Troy was always drafted second from Oregon, behind Justin Herbert, uh, but always before Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen, Calvin Throckmorton, and Jacob Breland, and Juwan Johnson. Those were our uh, seven draft prospects who have been invited to the Combine. Let's take a closer look at them, uh, possibly going to the Broncos or the Raiders. But before we get into that Broncos and Raiders draft picks, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we're going to come back and do a current NFL comparison. Welcome back. As we mentioned before the break, we're going to be doing a current NFL comparison for Troy Dye. And I was taking a look at Fred Warner. He was a linebacker, picked 70th overall from BYU. He was selected by the 49ers. Six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds. It's about the same same frame, maybe a little heavier. Two hundred and thirty nine tackles, three sacks, and four forced fumbles and an interception. In fact, that pick came off a throw by Mahomes in Super Bowl fifty four. Warner and Die are around the same size and had some of the same criticisms going into the draft. Both players lacked strength that matched their size. Fred Warner's combine scores are let's see here, a four six four forty. 21 reps on the bench press, pretty good showing there. And the most important drill for linebackers, uh, the shuttle run, he scored a 4.28. Just for reference, Jordan Hicks had a 4.15, and Luke Keekley did the shuttle run in uh, 4.12 seconds. So, so this week's shuttle run will be an area to look at for Die, and I'm curious how, also how his bench press score is going to compare. You know, I've been speculating for a few weeks now. The listeners know that. He chose to miss the Senior Bowl so that he could focus on bulking up for the Combine. So the weigh-in is going to be pretty intriguing as well. There are new drills at this year's Combine. And for the linebackers, they are the shuffle, sprint, change of direction drill, and short zone breaks drill. I'm just looking forward to seeing how these things play out. They are getting rid of the pass drop drill for linebackers. So the Raiders have been bankrupt at the linebacker position since trading Khalil Mack in 2018. They've really lacked athleticism at this spot, and their current linebackers lack the tracking and ability to compete against tight ends and running backs that, you know, frankly, Troy Dye possesses. Vontez Perfect will be coming off the suspension from that helmet-to-helmet in week four of last year. He'll be a free agent, though, and along with and along with Will Compton, those free agents are going to leave some gaps, I think, in the linebacker position for the Raiders. To hear Whitehead is under contract for the coming year and is one of the bright spots at this position for the Raiders. Dye's going to be a good fit for the way defensive coordinator Paul Gunther runs his defenses. He's excellent against intermediate areas and would be complemented by a run stopper like Whitehead. The critique about his mass and strength will be addressed at the Combine, I think. And I could see John Gruden having uh, a lot to say about Dye needing to bulk up. Another team that we talked about taking Dye in the third round is the Broncos. And I've got to remember to call them the Las Vegas Raiders, but like the Las Vegas Raiders who picked at 80, 81, and 91... Denver does have three picks in the third round at 77, 83, and 95. The Broncos will have to think about taking Dye at 77 if they don't want to lose him to the Raiders. But this is an area where I will be, you know, I'll be looking for Dye to get drafted, kind of these 70s and 80s range. The Broncos have Alexander Johnson at inside linebacker. 
Which is a solid position uh, for the Broncos for years to come. I think they can uh, be confident with Johnson playing there. Troy Dye could be considered a quality depth piece behind Johnson. Denver also has Todd Davis and Josie Jewell, who have been called liabilities more than assets at that position. Dye's ability to track running backs running outside or pass-catching running backs in shallow crossing routes is going to fill some much-needed gaps for the Broncos. Troy Dye's lack of physicality would be more than made up for, I think, by the Davis and Jewel as run-stuffers that they are. And he would be complimentary in this group, allowing the Broncos to handle kind of a variety of attacks. Both teams would benefit from the fact that Dye could be a solid starter he can be a three-down linebacker who's able to consistently see the field. So whether he's a quality depth piece or a good starter in the right situation, I think that he's going to find a lot of success in the NFL, and I'm looking forward to watching him going forward. It'll be interesting to see, again, it'll be interesting to see how his weight and strength training has come in, comes into play during this week at the Combine. All right, just to sum it all up here, I think Troy Dye is going to be drafted in the third round, and he'll probably be drafted by either the Broncos or the Raiders. All right, that's going to do it for today. We're going to wrap up a little early. Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about the Ducks' victory over number four-ranked Stanford in women's basketball. And we're going to answer a couple of questions. First is, is possible Shane Lemieux is going to become a Saint or a Ram? And we'll get to see who gets drafted first. Is it going to be Calvin Throckmorton or Jake Hansen? As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnDucks. You can find me on Twitter at TheDustOffGuy. And please send in those questions and comments to the hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtag AskLodPod. If you can, leave five out of five stars review. If you want to make some input on the show in the review in a show review, I'll be happy to address it, read it on air. So we'll be back tomorrow morning to talk ducks and mock draft Mondays continued on to Tuesdays. Until then, go ducks!